In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Amen. Please sit. Tonight we gather at the beginning of the Triduum. Triduum, if you haven't heard that word before, is a fancy name for the three days of prayer before the feast of Easter, the feast of the resurrection. It's a serious-sounding word for the three holiest and most sacred days of our Christian calendar. And they begin this night. This night, when the pace of our story rather picks up, and there is so much to see and hear from Jesus, so much to learn from him and to take in that happens this night, more even than just was in that reading. And that itself is full. This is the night we, stooped to, we see Jesus stoop to wash the feet of the disciples. And I think sometimes we, we sort of gloss over that image a little bit because it makes us uncomfortable to think about having to do it ourselves. But tonight, as you think about this image, I want us to think especially about his humility, about what it means for the incarnate word, God who is wrapped in flesh, God who is present among us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth to kneel and stoop to wash the feet of his disciples, God who created the heavens and the earth, God who is the creator is kneeling to wash the feet of the created. What kind of God does that? What kind of love must that God have for us if that God is willing to do that? Tonight in the gospel, we see God incarnate tie a towel around his waist and kneel to wash the dirt off his disciples' feet, literally the master serving the servants. It's an image I'm going to ask you to dwell in it for a minute and imagine that it was you. What would you do? Would you be like Peter and say, no, Lord, you can't do this. You can't do this. That's not right. Peter certainly has a change of heart immediately, doesn't he, when he realizes that this is what Jesus wants, that this relationship is different than any other. Practically speaking, though, imagine what that moment would have been like for Jesus. There's at least 12 of them, right? At least 12 of the disciples gathered around the table. I don't know what your knees are like, but I can tell you that on the nights when I kneel next to the bath for about 10 minutes, my knees are shot after that. So I suspect that by the time he made it around the table, he must have been in some pain. Pain in his back, pain in his shoulders, pain in his knees. And yet I have to imagine that he took his time. He didn't rush. It's a beautiful thing, an act of humility and of love and of sacrifice. But also, let's think about those feet for just a minute. Surely, you know, we've talked about the fact that they would have been dirty, of course, right? Most people were wandering around in the dirt and the sand in sandals. And so this was a custom in the ancient world to to have people's feet washed when they came into your house. But these disciples were not wealthy or well taken care of, so their feet probably were also pretty cut up, 
bruised up, beat up. Maybe there are splinters or sores. Maybe some of them have some kind of chronic pain or some kind of injury that we couldn't treat at the time. These are people who worked hard and would have been hard on their bodies, hard on their feet. And so surely what Jesus does for them in this moment is not just loving in terms of his desire to clean their feet, but I have to believe that he also wanted to heal what was broken, clean out the wounds, wash the sores. And there's something to that, too. Perhaps it wasn't comfortable for the disciples, not only in their pride, but also physically. It may have sometimes hurt them, stung a little bit. There's something to love about that too, isn't there? Jesus surely wanting to heal and to fix and to love and to clean and to solve. But that love sometimes hurts a little bit. I imagine his love in many ways pushed them, changed them, forced them to look at the things in their life that were difficult, the wounds, the sores. Sometimes love, even at its best, hurts when it holds us accountable, when it asks more of us than we're prepared to give. Surely that happens for the disciples tonight. And then, on this night, we also remember that Jesus institutes the Eucharist, the Last Supper, in this upper room, this feast that he shares with the disciples. And we have good reason to believe that it's really not just the disciples who are at this table, not just the twelve, but that there are probably many others who are there. In fact, scholars have suggested that it was the women who followed him who paid for this meal, who paid for the room, who made all of these things possible. So there are probably more people there sharing this feast as well. What would it have been like to be with him at the table? To see what he was saying, to have this sense that something was coming? Can you imagine that? To see him willing to lay down his life and still in this moment wanting to share a meal with the people he loves, with you. This also is the night that he is betrayed. Tonight he goes to the garden with the disciples to wait and we know from the other gospels that that is a, a difficult moment for him when he prays that God might let this cup pass from him. When he goes and he looks for the disciples and he finds them asleep, he's asked them to wait and they just can't. <laughs> they can't keep their eyes open. This is the night when they come out, the temple police with weapons and clubs and swords to capture the Prince of Peace as if he was a robber or a bandit or a terrorist. Maybe like some of the artists have portrayed, they wrap rope around his hands and they sort of lead him that way, like a leash, almost. Maybe they surround him with their weapons and kind of poke him and prod him. But one way or another, they lead him, push him, shove him. The man who took children in his arms. The man whose hands healed and fed and blessed. Tonight they take him hostage and they carry him off to the temple where he's beaten and hurt and made fun of and interrogated and found to be a liar and a hypocrite by the religious elite. They make him out to be some kind of lunatic, some kind of traitor, a heretic. 
some kind of crazy person who's just a problem, a liability that they want to get rid of before the festival because they don't want their festival to be interrupted by this man. And so after he's interrogated at the temple tonight, late into the night and early into the morning, he's shuffled off to Pilate, turned over to the Romans, the oppressors, by his own people, betrayed by his own people. And while he's being questioned through all of this, and while he's being interrogated, his best friends who have followed him for the last three years, they flee, they leave him, and Peter denies him three times. All of this in the span of hours. Love played out in the upper room, love that stoops to wash feet, love that gives of his body and his blood so that everyone can eat, love that gives us and the disciples a new way to live a meal to bind us up and to bring him into our presence, love that is prepared in the garden to go peacefully without a fight, love that is willingly captured and questioned, love that is betrayed. Tonight we gather to remember all of this at the beginning of these great three days, to give thanks for the Eucharist, to give thanks for love poured out, to give thanks for the choice that Jesus be makes tonight and every minute of the next three days, every minute when he stands there and doesn't fight, every minute he doesn't use the tremendous power that's inside him, every minute he chooses to walk down that path toward the cross, passively, willingly, for us. And so liturgically tonight, we try to live out some of these things, to reenact them. And at the end of the service, as, as many of you know, when we strip the altar, I will remove what's left of the consecrated elements and take them out to the altar of repose, which is in the middle of a garden and is intended to remind us, to invite us into this space with him, to watch and to pray, and to think about the place that he is going that we cannot go. Tonight, liturgically, the ritual is supposed to remind us that we plunge into uncertainty and darkness. And look, we know how the story ends, right? We know what's coming. But we can't fully embrace that and know that until we first have walked with him this uncertain, dark, difficult road. In our reading from Exodus tonight, our passage from Hebrew scriptures, we heard about the Passover of the Lord. It's a feast, actually, that this year our Jewish siblings will begin tomorrow. We are inextricably linked. And it's the very same festival that so many were in Jerusalem to participate in, according to the gospel, that, that folks were trying to protect by getting rid of Jesus. And tonight, for our part, we begin a different kind of Passover, the Passover of the Lord which has a, a very different meaning for us than it does for our, our Jewish siblings. Tonight, and for the next few days, we remember the laying down of our Savior's life, his passing from life to death, a death indeed and blood indeed that saves us, that marks us, that gives us life. So beloved, tonight, as we gather for the first time in three years to mark these three days, together, in person. 
as we listen to contemplative music and, and try to enter into these three days in a, in a different way, I pray that you will not shy away from the somber, sort of serious feeling of this night. That you will carry the images of him stooping, of him feeding, of him in the garden waiting. I pray that you will carry those with you tonight, that you will sort of take them on. And particularly as we make our way to the Eucharist, that you will be with him in the room. Watch him stoop and wash feet. Wonder what it would be like for them to be yours. How would you respond? What would you say? What do you see? Who is he calling you to love and serve this way? Because surely, when he says, I've given you an example, he's not just talking about the disciples, he's talking about us too. So who is it that you, that we, are being called to stoop and to serve? And when you receive communion tonight, receive it mindfully, as if you are at the table with him, because you are. He is here when we celebrate communion. He is present in the bread, and amongst us, and between us, and with us. And then tonight, as you leave in silence, I pray that you will hold in your heart this image of the garden, this choice that he makes tonight for you. Stay with him in your heart in that moment, and keep watch. Stop to pray at the altar of repose on your way out, if you'd like to, and wait with him through these dark hours intentionally and mindfully, Consider the momentous things that happen tonight, even as you do the things you normally would do. Be mindful of his betrayal, arrest, interrogation, and the ways in which we see our Lord be treated, and the ways in which we treat him and each other. And be mindful of what he bears for you tonight. Amen.